Heavenly Father, God, thank you for today. Thank you for this time. Thank you, God, for family service. God, family service is what Acts 2 is about, of one mind and one accord, all generations. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for what this day represents. And Father, I pray right now, God, that you would get me completely out of the way. Father, that you would speak through me. And God, today, that what comes out of your word, God, will be an encouragement and a blessing to your body. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. So there's only a short little section that we're going to cover, but there's a lot to cover. So I'm going to try to get through it pretty quick, the best I can. We're going to be on page 119 of our, of our study books. We're going to be in Acts 21, verses 8 and 9. And I'm going to have a little tiny bit of class participation today, which means if you have a pen and paper, have it out and ready, or have your phone out, your notes or whatever, it's not going to be that big of a deal, but it's something I want you to write down because I want you to see it later on, okay? All right, so let's read real quick. Last week, we talked about Paul, how he went to Jerusalem, right? And he was beaten by the Jews and the Romans had to rescue him. We talked about all that last week. And so we read this last week, but now we want to talk about it a little bit more. All right, so uh, chapter 21, verse 8. On the next day, we who were, we who, man, I need to get better glasses, I think. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Four virgin daughters who prophesied. So it's important, as you guys know, to get historical context. Who's Philip? What does the original seven mean? Okay? So, Philip was one of the first seven. If you go back... In Acts, okay, go back in Acts to chapter 6. If you can turn with me real quick, Acts chapter 6. I thought I had it saved in my Bible, and I didn't. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. It'll help explain what... Did I write that down wrong? You know what? Forget it because I wrote it down wrong. I'm taking you to the wrong place. Please forgive me. What happened is Paul or uh, 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 Philip was a part of the original seven. The original seven who was anointed by the 12 apostles, okay? They were the first ones who were anointed by the apostles to go out and preach. The 12 apostles needed help, okay? They couldn't do it all. They needed help. So uh, Philip was a part of the original seven who were dedicated, okay? And so we see that he has played a prominent role. Philip was also the one in Acts 8, verses 4 through 8, who was sent to Samaria to preach. So we see that Philip played a very important role in the early church, 
okay? He played a very important role in the early church. And so now in this reference, we see in verse nine of Acts chapter 21, it says, Philip's daughters, each exercising the gift of prophecy. This makes it clear that women did bring God's word by the power of the Holy Spirit and that such ministry was fully accepted in the early church. This is reinforced by Paul in 1 Corinthians 11.5. 1 Corinthians 11.5, it's reinforced there. Where he directs, number one, that a woman may prophesy, but number two, that she must properly be properly covered. That is rightly related to her husband or other spiritual authority. This is a regulation incumbent upon all spiritual leaders, male and female, male and female. John, what are we talking about today? We are talking about the fact that women play a vital role in the church today, and they have ever since the Old Testament and the New Testament. Those people who say women cannot testify, women cannot prophesy, women cannot preach are completely wrong. And today I'm going to break it down on where it says in the Bible that that assumption that women can't do anything is wrong, okay? In this time of history, when this was written in 1 Corinthians about being covered, okay, a woman had, if she had short hair, or if she didn't have her head covered, it was a sign of loose morals. I don't need to explain any further than that, right? Loose morals, okay? That's what it was a sign of. The covering meant that she was to be respected, honored as a woman, respected and honored as a woman. It served as a sign of modesty and value and glory of womanhood. All good things is what it was a sign of. So in this passage of scripture, it gives us rules on when, not if, a woman prophesies how she should do so. Also, if you look at this as a symbol, Covered, okay, covered. Look at it as a symbol. Anyone who represents Christ and is a witness for him should be covered or accountable to a spiritual leader, no matter if you are a man or a woman. In 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13, we see the qualifications to be a bishop or a deacon. There's qualifications. There is order in the kingdom. And there's guidelines for us to follow. There's guidelines for us to follow. So I want to give you a couple examples. Go with me to Luke chapter 2, please. Luke chapter 2. We are going to see where women played a role in the church, okay? Luke chapter 2. Verse 36, 
Historical context, this is when Jesus was born, okay? Just historical context. This is where we're at in Luke. Verse 36 says, Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem." The prophetess Anna, the, the story of the birth of Jesus is being told here. I had always heard about Simeon, how he would see, that, how he would not see death until he saw Jesus. Does everybody remember that story? As a kid, I was taught about Simeon all the time, but I was never taught about Anna. Wow. You don't have Simeon without, you see what I'm saying? There's a parallel there. There's a parallel there. Anna, as it says, was a prophetess in the temple, serving all the time. So was Simeon, a man and a woman example of being alive and waiting to see the promise of Jesus. <laughs> I love it. And it's really funny because Pastor Amanda's probably laughing right now that I'm the one teaching this. <laughs> I just want to say that. It's a whole long story, but I'll just leave it at that. You're welcome. And as verse 38 says, and coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So not only did she see Jesus, but at that point she left and went and testified to all who were seeking at that point. And here we see an old, this is an Old Testament example in the New Testament of a woman being a prophetess. And you say, how is this an Old Testament example? Because Jesus hadn't started his ministry yet. He hadn't completed his ministry. The old law was still intact. All that was still going on right now. So even though this is in the New Testament, this is an example of Old Testament. Okay? So here is an Old Testament example of a woman serving in the church. And then if you want to go to Acts 2, verses 17 through 18. Now look, everybody, <laughs> everybody knows this one, but you know what? Sometimes it's good for us to go ahead and look at it again. Historical context, context once again, this is Peter's very first sermon. After Peter was filled with the Holy Ghost, his very first sermon. And in his very first sermon, he preached, verse 17, and it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all 
flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall see dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. First sermon of the Holy Ghost filled Peter, he speaks of not only men, but women. It's right there. First sermon. I have, <laughs> I wish y'all could see my notes because I have four pages and they're all backwards. So I'm going from page to page. So please forgive me because when God was downloading this today, it was blowing my mind and I kept getting different things. And y'all, I'm tired of religion. I think y'all know that about me by now. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of a woman coming into a church and feeling as if she can't testify and can't prophesy. I'm tired to... Mm, I'm tired to see on Facebook when our pastor is on there proclaiming the word, people going off saying, who does she think she is? Come on. It gets on my nerves, y'all. The second half in our book, it says, the acceptance of women in a public place of ministry in the church is not a concession to the spirit of a feminist movement. But, this may hurt some people when they hear it, but the refusal of such a place might be a concession to an order of male chauvinism. Unwarranted by and unsupported by scripture, as we've just read. Clearly women speak, preach, Prophesy in the early church. It's there. It's there. So now I'm going to play the proverbial devil's advocate because whenever you preach this, the first thing somebody's going to say is what about 1 Corinthians 14? Let's go and look at it. 1 Corinthians 14. And young ladies... You need to write this down. You need to know this. Because when the Spirit comes on you and you go to testify, you go to do your thing, and somebody tells you to shut up and sit down, you need to know this. You need to know this. You need to know what they're going to come at you with. They're going to come at you with 1 Corinthians 14. And here's the fun thing about the New King James Version. <clears throat> What I like about it is, is it, it breaks it down, right? It breaks it down. And it, it <laughs> and in mine, it says, I'm going to get to it here in, in my other Bible. It says orderly worship. Orderly worship, okay? It breaks down about speaking in tongues, it breaks down about prophesying. It breaks down all of that. And in verse 34, it says, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, 
for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. So on the surface, you read that and you're like, wait a minute. We have prophetesses who speak, who testify. So why is it a shame for a woman to speak in church? And then in, in, in verse 39, it says, so my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. And I was like, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm confused. I want to get this right. This must be understood in the light of social order and cultural issues of the day. Once again, it is important to get historical perspective on what is going on in the time something is written. Because if you don't, you will take a passage of scripture, hang a doctrine on it, and, and go with it, okay? And you'll be wrong. The primary concern in this case came from the fact that women usually lack the same degree of formal education as a man. As a result, they often had questions about philosophical matters of teaching and instruction. In the informal context of the early church worship, women might choose to interrupt the service with questions for their husbands or they might become involved in distracting discussions, particularly about tongues and prophecy. The fact that men and women were sometimes separated in worship only added to this problem. Paul was simply forbidding the women to interrupt the service by asking questions that could be dealt with at home. This, he is not forbidding speech as he is forbidding disorderly speaking. So that means when worship is going on and you see somebody deep in worship, don't tap them on the shoulder to talk about lunch. Don't do that. When the spirit is moving, move in the spirit. Man. Let me get back. Sorry. Paul was simply forbidding the women to interrupt the service by asking questions that dealt with, that could be dealt with at home. He's not forbidding speech as much as he is forbidding disorderly speaking. Paul already assumes that women pray and prophesy in public assemblies. This passage is not meant to teach that women cannot be ministers or hold positions of authority in the church. Paul's purpose was not to define gender roles for church worship or leadership, but rather to establish and promote proper and orderly worship. So when somebody goes in and they take this one scripture, 34 and 35, and then they hang a doctrine on it or a denomination on it, then all of a sudden it all goes to mess because now you have cheapened the word of God. Now you have changed a jot or a tittle. And what does uh, Revelation say about changing a jot or tittle? You better not. That's why it's important to study to show yourself approved in all aspects of the word. Class participation, get your pens out. Or get your phones out. I want you to write... <laughs> Elder Jeff, I may be completely wrong on this, 
But this jumped out to me and it really messed with me. I'm not gonna lie, it did. I want you to write down the word denomination. And we'll give you a second to write it down. Write down the word denomination. That is spelled D-E-N-O-M-I-N-A-T-I-O-N. Denomination. Now, under that, do me a favor. Switch the N and the M. Put a space. Put the I. Make a space. And type nation. Demon I nation. God never intended for us to have denominations. God never intended for us to split hairs on what he taught. Never intended it. He sent the 12 disciples out together speaking one word in unity. What have we been taught constantly? The devil comes to steal, kill, destroy, confusion, worry, all of that, confusion. The devil doesn't care that we meet in church. He cares that we know the truth. That's what he cares about. Listen, there will be those. Let's just first be honest. This isn't a popular teaching at all. You know why? Because it takes denominations and hits them where it hurts in the pocket. Because if you, if you stop doing this denomination mess and you come together as one church, then all of a sudden their pockets get empty. It's what it is, y'all. It's what it is. This isn't popular teaching and there are many who would call me a heretic for teaching this. And if they do, that's okay because the word of God doesn't fail. You can say what you want, but the word of God doesn't fail. If you go in and you study the word and you look, the answers really are right there. I'm gonna be honest, it's blown my mind the past few years when I've actually dug in and studied. I'm, I'm not even lying. It has blown my mind that what I was taught really wasn't the whole truth. And then when you actually see what it is, but it takes time, it takes discipline, it takes why did Paul say that a woman can't speak? It takes time to go dig. It takes time to figure out what was going on. It's very important to dig. I want to be a part of the remnant. Anybody else want that? To be a part of the remnant? The Bible speaks and it talks about in the last days, even the elect will be deceived. I've never understood that. I'm like, how can the elect be deceived? How can people who were called by God be deceived? Here's one example. If you get something 
I want to say as simple as this, wrong, then you could be deceived by a lot more. Demon eye nation. The elect can be deceived. Work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Study to show yourself approved. It's up to you. Our pastors lead us under the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. They lead us. They preach, they teach, they admonish. But it's still up to you to do your part. It's still up to you to study, to do your part, to fully understand what's going on. And if not, even the elect can be and will be deceived. You will. And so then, if you really, if I can use the word, if you really want to get scared, just go ahead and hit Matthew 7 and, and, and see. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way. There will be those that stand before him and say, but I've cast out demons in your name. God, I've done all this. Depart from me, I never knew you. Even the elect will be deceived. And y'all trust me, I'm teaching this from a place of, God forgive me. Because I was the guy. Well, 1 Corinthians 14 said women don't need to say nothing. But that's what I was taught. And guess what? That's what I was taught and I didn't do my due diligence to study to show myself approved. I just believed what I was told. And guess what? On the day of judgment, I would have been responsible. So let me say this is a wake-up call for all of us, all of us to study, to show yourself approved. And I'm sorry, but now you don't have an excuse. Everyone who is here, you don't have an excuse. You can't say, well, I wasn't told. You've been told. You've been told, and please hear my heart. I'm not saying that from a place of arrogancy. I'm saying that from a place of a broken heart because I was the one who didn't. I was the one who didn't care. I just took it for face value that what I was being told was the truth. I'm thankful that we are in the midst of a church who have pastors who preach Genesis to Revelation for the fact of what Genesis to Revelation says not a doctrinal heresy. Know the word for what it says and why it says it. Because I really don't want to see anybody on that day say, well, that's what I was taught. Depart from me, I never knew you. Come on, y'all, this is life and death. This is heaven or hell stuff. This isn't something just to fulfill on a, Family Sunday, this is literally life and death, heaven, hell stuff. Every bit of it is very serious. So Father, right now in the name of Jesus, God, I pray, Lord, that you will bind. You will cast down. You will remove the spirit of religion that has haunted us all these years. In, in, in our thinking, we think we're living just, but God, we are only living apart. And if we are only living a half truth, then we're living a whole lie. God, I beg, 
that you will open our eyes, God, that you will give us the hunger and the yearning to search your word, the hunger and the yearning to know what your word says because your word is truth. Father, I ask for understanding. I ask for deliverance. I humbly ask God that you will give us the wisdom as we seek you. Father, your word says, seek and you shall find. Your word, Father, says knock and the door will be open. And Father, I am knocking. I am seeking. I am praying, God, that you will make your word real and show us the truth in your word, God. Allow us to not be blindsided. Allow us not to be lazy in our studying, God, but allow us to search for your truth, God. Father, I love you and I praise you. Thank you, God, for this word Father, it's a bit of a cutting word, but Lord, I thank you for it, God, that we can learn and know truth. Father, allow us as a church to come together, not just this church, but all churches, to throw the denominational tags to the ground. We bind the denomination spirit of religion in the name of Jesus and we cast it down. Father, allow us to be a unified church that seeks after you and your truth. And Father, it's in the name of Jesus we ask and pray all these things. Amen and amen.